0: From BossTrack, it's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Her Hype Squad with BossTrack. I'm your host, Michelle Harris. Today, I'm talking with Katie O'Malley a career coach and workplace consultant and founder of Encourage Coaching. Katie and I are talking today about workplace-induced trauma, including what it is, what experiences can lead up to it, the effects of workplace-induced trauma, and what can be done once it's been identified. We also discuss how, as leaders, we can avoid causing it ourselves. But before we get into our conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Katie. Katie O'Malley is a career coach and workplace consultant with 15 years of professional experience serving the nonprofit, corporate, and education sectors. Across these workplaces, Katie noticed her strengths and values consistently steered her toward the support and development of others. In 2012, Katie translated this observation into action, earning a master's degree in counseling and board certification in coaching. Since 2018, Katie has worked alongside more than 125 clients as the founder and principal coach of Encourage Coaching. Founded with the noble mission of providing exceptional, financially accessible coaching services to Chicago area professionals, Encourage Coaching has grown to support individuals and businesses from coast to coast, as well as in the U.K., Coaching clients in the design of authentic career paths, effective leadership practices, and courageous workplace cultures is in the DNA of Encourage Coaching. By leveraging a mix of evidence-based practices from the fields of counseling, organizational development, and leadership education, Katie equips her clients with customized strategies to meet their individual needs and aspirational goals. Prior to opening the doors of Encourage Coaching, Katie served as a leadership coach and course instructor to MBA and graduate students at Chicago Booth, the University of Texas at Austin, and DePaul University. Recently featured in Fast Company and Thrive Global, Katie's research and writing supports both sides of the workplace equation. Encouraging employers and employees to remember we're all in this work thing together. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Katie O'Malley. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to
1: have you here. I'm so delighted to be here, Michelle. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today because I think what you have to to say to the audience and what you have to offer is so important. So I'd I'd love for you, we did uh, an intro in the beginning and told everybody about your background, but I'd love for them to hear about you directly from you if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your background.
1: For sure, for sure. Um, people's stories are are fascinating, and and the way that we tell them on paper, written up in a bio, can be very different than than how we tell them in in conversation. Um, for me, I think I'll I'll start at the end and maybe maybe work my way backwards just a little bit to p- provide context. Uh, but i am I'm a leadership coach, a career coach, um, and workplace consultant. I've been in this space for for the last ten years, primarily um, working with institutions of of higher education and developing. The next generation of of leaders and and helping folks identify where they can really thrive in their career. Uh, And so done that at places like DePaul University, University of Texas at Austin, most recently the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And what I realized in doing this work is that it's great um, for the students that, that are at these institutions, some of which are considered relatively elite, And I really wanted to make sure that uh, exceptional leadership education, exceptional career development is accessible to everyone, not just folks who attend elite universities, business schools, or work for companies with really deep pockets. And that's when I decided to open the doors to encourage coaching. And when I say open the doors, I put up a website in 2018 got my LLC, um, and just wanted to see what would happen if if I put this service and offering out there to really, really democratize coaching in a way. Um, And started off with with a client from a former nonprofit that I had worked at. That client um, had a great experience, referred me to a couple more, and so it went. Um, Until this last spring, I was able to transform, encourage coaching, from my side hustle and passion project into my full-time gig. Um, and so after spending four and a half years working eight to five uh, at a university institution and then coaching clients from five to nine on the evenings or, or in the weekends, I'm able to focus my full time and attention on folks looking to make career changes to advance where they're at Um, or help create environments that are really rooted in in a culture of of courage um, that encourage folks to bring and feel safe in bringing their whole self to work. Um, Prior to that, I was a bit of a career nomad myself, Uh, started off in political campaign work, transitioned into the nonprofit sector, knowing that I really wanted to make a difference in, in the world. And I thought those the only two paths to do it, but it turns out you can also really make an impact on a more micro level and plant lots of seeds by working with folks one-on-one. And so uh, transitioned uh, into the corporate sector for a little bit. I found my way to graduate school where I trained up to become a therapist and then just ended up taking that skill set in In a different direction, and and applied all of that learning and education and training into the field of coaching, where I'm at now.
0: It really uh, your your work really aligns well with what we do at Boss Track. So I I really have enjoyed the conversations we've had offline from from this podcast. I, I'd love for you to kind of talk us talk to us about the topic for today, which is the workplace induced trauma. Mm-hmm. And kind of give everybody an overview of what what is what that exactly is.
1: For sure, and I know Michelle, we've we've talked about this uh, before, leading up to this podcast, and when I pitched it, I could remember you being like, "Ooh, trauma! I don't, I don't know." Um, and it's it's a big word, and it can it can cause fear, or be be triggering, either because folks have. Um, have that experience with it, or it feels so far removed from what they expect it to be. And so if we can just take workplace-induced away for a second and, and talk about what trauma is, I think as a baseline for us and, and for, your, for your listeners, it's starting to, to understand and reframe trauma not as what happened to you, but what happens inside of you. So every day, you you, me, your listeners, we have dozens of experiences that our brain will code as positive, neutral, or negative. Negative experiences get coded a bit harder and and more deeply in our wiring. Um, and repeated negative experiences um, can actually cause traumatic, responses within us. Um, And so sometimes when I say trauma, when I'm working with clients, they'll say, Oh, no, no, I haven't been. um, I haven't been in a natural disaster. I haven't been held at at gunpoint. I haven't had these big traumatic experiences. And I'll say, Well, Back to the point, trauma isn't what happens to you; it's what happens inside of you. Um, and so, picking up the response to tr- to those negative experiences, things like anxiety, depression, chronic pain, insomnia, or sleeping sleeping too much, uh, feeling feeling guilty about things, feeling fearful about things, difficulty concentrating. All of these things that can really prevent us from succeeding in our our current roles or if we've made a shift, really starting to succeed in in future roles. And so now that we're clear on on what, what trauma is when we're talking about it, when I say workplace induced trauma, I'm talking about two main categories of events that a person might experience at work. The first are very overt events. So things like harassment, discrimination, retaliation, a hostile work environment, things that actually have a legal recourse attached to them and are relatively um, overt in the way that that they are expressed and, and perpetuated in the workplace. Then we have the more covert instances and experiences that people have in the workplace around around bullying, microaggressions, and this kind of catch-all term. Toxicity, which tends to be around um, the way things are communicated, lack of transparency. Often, folks will come to me and say, I keep having this carrot dangled in front of me and I hit the mark and then they move the mark. Mm-hmm. And it is um, in that consistent repetition of those experiences that has us start to have those trauma induced responses around, again, anxiety lack of concentration, um, being unable to work from a place of courage and instead having to work from a place of fear. Um, So both sides, both the overt and and covert experiences can cause that that trauma-induced experience that holds us back um, in our current work environment or future future work environments um, if we're not paying attention to what's going on.
0: Great. And you talked a little bit about this um, in what you just said, but in terms of, like the effects of workplace induced trauma, I'm thinking about like what you just said about the constantly putting the carrot in front of the person, and then that person reaches that carrot, and then it just, you know, is pushed out a little bit more, and it just keeps mm-hmm. going. Like, how do you know, whether you're ex- experiencing workplace induced trauma from something like that?
1: Yeah, it's um cuz it can be it can be hard um it, with folks who have the 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 trauma experience internally one of the first things that happens is denial Michelle truthfully it's no this didn't happen to me it couldn't have happened to me if this happened to me especially for women, it's my fault that this happened to me. So I'm not going to talk about it. Um, I think recognizing if there's denial, usually if there's denial, there's something good to explore and lean in there lean into there. Wherever there is resistance, I always encourage folks to get curious. So if you're listening and you're resisting this notion, it might be an opportunity to say, you know what, Um, is, is there something else going on here with me? But I think The other telltale signs are uh, fear to share ideas, um, fear to take um, a well-calculated risk at work out of what the what the response might be. Um, A lot of times that's because you're in a volatile environment and you're not sure how your boss will react, how your colleagues will react. (laughs) Sorry, excuse me. Um, And so really honing in on has my performance been affected lately am i feeling demotivated am i having pain whether it be physical or emotional am i questioning my worth and value if those things are popping up and they're not coming from a very clear internal Place. it might be because something is happening externally to you and those messages that you're receiving you're starting to internalize and and question all of all of your capacity and ability to really perform uh, in your in your job.
0: Thank you. and I and I guess to clarify, the same thing could happen to two different people. and one could trigger the workplace intru- induced trauma because of the way they react to it. And Mm -hmm. in in the other person, that
1: same situation might not if I'm thinking about what you're saying correctly. Correct. Um, That that is absolutely, absolutely a possibility. Um, Who we are and how we move in the world, how we move through the world. um, That's a big part of how we receive, absorb and, and respond to things or more simply put, um, how we think, feel, and behave when when something comes up. Uh, just because someone doesn't respond doesn't mean the bad behavior wasn't there. Right, got it.
0: Thank you for for uh, clarifying that. Um, so how do how does someone identify, navigate, and overcome workplace trauma once they've well <laughs> once they've identified it?
1: Yeah and the identification can can be the hardest part um be, because like I had mentioned so often and I know your audience um is is uh, people who identify as as women and and female um, for women, like I said, so often if there is an issue or if something doesn't feel quite right, we assume it's something we've done. Um, a lot of that comes from from the way we've been socialized to be to be pleasing, um, to not rock the boat too much, to be nice, to be warm. Um, and so I think the very first step is starting to talk to people around you in, in your work environment and ask those questions. Hey, this thing happened. I've been assuming it's my fault or something I've done, but has this ever happened to you? And, and starting those questions with people you feel like you can, you can confide in. If you're in an environment where you feel like you can't confide in anyone, that, that to me is, is a, is a, is at minimum a yellow flag perhaps a red flag that you are in a type of toxic environment that's perpetuating these types of cycles um in that case i would say reach out to to a mentor reach out to to a coach or a therapist or another helping professional to get an objective opinion is this normal um or or is this not normal and there's this wonderful book that just came out by dr Gabor Mate, uh, he studies trauma, and the book is called This Is Not Normal. Um, And it's all of the things we've come to accept as normalized within the human experience that are actually trauma. And so again, it's starting to reconfigure our idea about what trauma really means. um, And again, what the, the impact is it on us? So there's the identify then there's there's the navigate piece. So, again, if we can go back to those kind of two categories, the the overt negative experiences around retaliation, discrimination, hostility. Um. Uh, my goodness, why am I blanking on that last one? Uh, if folks want to hear it, they can they can rewind the, the podcast or um the more covert experiences if we're looking at the overt side um people have a lot of legal recourse that they can take um one of one of my favorite resources to point someone towards is uh the Me Too Foundation the Me Too Foundation um came about late 2018 early 2019 um in response to a lot of the Harassment um, and and sexual um, sexual assault that we were seeing happen in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what come people have come to find out, it's not just Hollywood; it's all workplaces where where this can really happen. The Me Too Foundation, if you submit a request. Um will we'll connect you with lawyers and attorneys who have signed up to do this work pro bono to defend you um, and and to defend your to defend your claim and to defend your rights in the workplace. Um, so that's that's definitely one avenue. The other is the um, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, you can file a claim with them. Um, the, the challenge there is knowing what, what to file about, um, and also doing it within the right time period. So I can, I can share back in 2019, I reached out to the Me Too Foundation, um, submitted what I thought was an experience of discrimination, harassment, and retaliation in the workplace, um, and within 24 hours, Michelle, what I received was the contact information for three attorneys that were willing to speak with me about my case. I spoke to all three of them. Um, each of them said I had a valid claim of uh, definitely harassment, discrimination, and retaliation in the workplace based upon my gender, um, and they said, unfortunately, uh, time's up, and now I am realizing I've been calling it the Me Too Foundation. It's actually the Times Up Foundation. So you can make that correction. Uh, the, the Times Up Foundation. And ironically, okay. my time was up. Um, so you only have 180 days from the experience that from that negative overt workplace experience. Um, you only have 180 days to file a claim. This actually works against the employee because so often we need that job for our livelihood for any number of reasons. Um, and the fear of retaliation, whether it be through receiving fewer projects, less work, or even getting fired, um, that fear can prevent fe- people from filing until they're able to leave that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of the things to be on the lookout for is once you have this experience connecting with someone right away, um, getting that experience validated so you can feel confident moving forward with, with what happens next. For um, for the events that are more covert, so toxicity in general, bullying, carrot dangling, um uh microaggressions those are things that it often helps to again uh talk to your colleagues about see what's happening see what's happening with them um you can absolutely file through the times up foundation to see if you have a case but there are also other other ways to begin to navigate it which is finding a champion having somebody else um be able to be the voice for you and call out the kinds of behaviors that are happening when they see it, um, because it can be scary for the individual experiencing it, especially the woman. When we advocate for ourselves, when we advocate when we advocate for ourselves, we're looked poorly upon. When we advocate for others, that's often very highly regarded. Um, and so, being able to form allyships and alliances with folks at work, but also sometimes just being able to say, "This is no longer for me, and I need to get out of." Here. Here. Um, I know that is a luxury, not everybody, not everybody has. But if you do, um, being able to talk to a career coach, being able to talk to recruiters and get your name out there. Um, there are lots of folks, uh, including me who are willing to provide that kind of support um, on a sliding scale. And so you don't have to stick it out. And I think especially for women to know, we face this myth um, that has very much been internalized with us, again, that we are, it's called the only one theory, that we are the only ones in the environment or at the table experiencing this particular thing. And that's what keeps us from speaking up. Um, It's just not true. If you're experiencing it, dozens of other women are too. Um, You just need to find the courage and to be able to move through the fear to talk to others about it. Um, I mean, there are so many
0: good reasons to have that allyship and uh, group of uh, that network that at work that you can rely on. There mm-hmm. are so many reasons, but I, I love like just having it for this reason alone is, is so valuable.
1: Um, and I know we're going to talk about books a little bit, yeah. a little bit later <laughs> in our chat. Um, but particularly um, one that is very concrete and super helpful as it relates to navigating workplace-induced trauma is called Feminist Fight Club. It's by Jessica Bennett. Um, great resource. It'll give you all the giggles. Um, and concrete tactics and strategies to to employ, and even starting a a book club to read with your with your colleagues who might be finding these same challenges. So you all have the same tools in your toolkit when the time is right to deploy them is, is one of the things that, that I really recommend to women at work.
0: Thank you. Well, yeah, well, uh, well, maybe there'll be some more when we get to that. But oh, I, I, I love books. that. I yes. haven't actually <laughs> even come across that book. So I'm definitely going to pick that up and, and read it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so one of the concerns I guess some people on here might have as a leader is how can they prevent themselves from unknowingly causing workplace-induced trauma?
1: Yeah, and it's um, because we can, we're all, none of us are immune from doing it, from from misstepping, um, from engaging in behaviors that are Unbecoming of the type of leader that that we want to be, um, or from seeing those bad behaviors in our teammates and in our colleagues, and and not calling them out. So one of I think one of the things to do is to get really smart, especially for women. on um, the the four types of biases that women women face in the workplace. Um And those those four biases can really help us when we understand them to know what it takes to avoid them and and advocate, advocate for something for something different. Um, so the first of those four biases uh, is is the performance bias. Um, women are judged on what they have achieved, um, what they have performed, what they have done. The performance bias, sometimes you'll hear it called the prove it again and again and again bias, um, which is basically just saying, show us that you can do this. Keep showing us you can do it. And then maybe we'll give you the opportunity to actually do this thing. Whereas men are often evaluated in terms of their performance actually on their potential. So when it comes time for promotions, men are promoted based on potential, women get promoted based on what they can prove. And this is one of the main gaps that occurs um, in in the, the gap that we see between women um in the c-suite and men in the c-suite um and they say for for parity to happen in the c-suite it's going to take close to 250 years and who knows we might already be colonizing mars or or other planetary systems at at that point Mm -hmm. um but it happens right out of the gate so when um men and women arrive at a new company from Um, undergraduate or graduate school, and then it's two years till their first promotion bit, men are promoted three to one over women, and it's based upon their potential. Because how much can we really prove in two years, right? Um, So part of it is as leaders looking at your hiring practices. Who's coming into your pipeline? Looking at your promotion practices. What are those criteria, and are they same across the board? Um, and as I'm saying all of this, I want your listeners to know and believe: as women, we are not immune from this. Um, it's not just men perpetuating these cycles. It's it's us too, because we don't we don't know, and we just go with go with what we got instead of putting a critical eye on it. The second. Excuse me. Um, The second type of bias is maternal bias. And this works, this kind of works on both sides. Maternal bias looks at how women are viewed once they have a child, um, or how women are viewed in the interview process if they are of childbearing age. And while it's illegal to ask those questions, do you plan to have a child? Do you have any children? Um, you know, the the worry of that can often prevent women from getting hired in the first place or from being given big projects, high-profile clients out of fear um, that they will take maternity leave and never come back. Or if they do come back, they won't be as committed because women are more committed. To their, to their children than, than men are, which is simply not the case. Mm. Um, and so there's that worry. But then on the other side, um, it's what about the women who don't have children? Is there something wrong with them? Are they not feminine enough? Are they not warm enough? Um, and running a, up against that bias as well. Um, and so there's there's the struggle there. One of the things um, that can be really helpful with this um, is implementing parental leave policies for both men and women. Mm. Um, This starts to reduce that stigma um, because now both parents can can participate equally in the raising of the child. Um, And men will take it if it is offered to them, um, especially if they see um, male leadership doing, doing it as well and upholding it. The third is all about performance attribution bias. Um, performance attribution bias says if something goes right on a team, uh, the team lead, uh, even if it if the team lead is a woman, the team, uh, is who gets the props for it, um, which is very good as a leader to mm-hmm. give your team props. We want to do that, but also as the woman, we need to be able to say I more often and not and not make it a we. However, when things go wrong on on a project or with a client, um, it is the women who more often receive the brunt of that and often the blame. Um, and again, this goes back to the internalized systems we have oh my gosh, it went wrong, something happened, it must be my fault, and there's not enough pushback there. So when it does come to performance review time, we can see how these two these two dimensions are unevenly stacked um, as we's instead of I's and then um, unfairly balanced toward the negative. Uh, so again, encouraging your team to be able to say, yes, this was a team effort, And here's what I did to help make the outcome happen. It is okay to say these things. Also being able to say, yes, it it was a team effort. Things didn't go as planned. Here's a misstep I made. Here's how I see the team can be better in the future. So as a leader in your company, for your team, in your organization, pushing your women to be able to say those things. And when you catch them, Taking full responsibility or not taking full responsibility uh, for the achievement, encouraging them to do so. Um, also just keeping a tracker. I like to call it my kick file, mm-hmm. um, keeping a tracker of all the great things that you've achieved throughout the year. Um, you never even have to share them till performance evaluation time comes along, but being able to remember the work that you did, because so often, we just assume the work that we did is our work, and it's our job, and these are our responsibilities. Uh, but it's okay to elevate those as ways to to shine and and toot your own horn as well. The yeah. final bias. Oh, go ahead, Michelle. Go ahead. No, I, was, I was just going to say, I love that. I
0: think Gretchen Rubin has something like that, where she calls it her to list, that she yeah. keeps oh, track of God. the things that she accomplished. <laughs>
1: I am, um I'm going to steal that from Gretchen. It is no <laughs> longer a kick file. It is a Tadalist. list. That is yeah,
0: crazy. look it up and make sure I'm right about that, but I believe that's uh, I saw that uh, come across in, in the feed once from from her, so.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Um <laughs> yes, a Tadalist. list. Um so encourage <laughs> encourage all of your team members to build out those Tadalists. Um and I think the third and this is the one that's most challenging to talk about and and sometimes most difficult to hear is that as women, ooh, we can sometimes hold other women back. Um, and it's this idea, it's what's called the tug of war. Um, my gosh, there can only be one woman at the table. I want to be that woman. I got to elbow everybody else out. Or, oh my gosh, to get to this table, I had to go through so much V.S., that I'm gonna make all the women coming up behind me go through that same BS too. Um, And that doesn't help. Uh, It doesn't make anyone stronger. It doesn't make anyone better better for, for the wear and the struggle. All it does is keep women out of the place that decisions are being made. So anytime as a leader, you have the opportunity to elevate another woman, to promote another woman, to sponsor, to champion them, to make life a little bit easier for them, even if it wasn't easy for you, that is the very best thing that, that you can do to help prevent workplace induced trauma. Um, one of, I'm trained as a therapist and, and the orientation that, that I use when working with clients is very existential in nature. Um, and there's this wonderful quote from Jean-Paul Sartre that says, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it's just so powerful. It's a simple sentence, but it's really powerful. Um, just because it happened to you, free yourself from that. Don't keep engaging with the tools of, of the people who caused you to have these traumatic responses and and oppressed you don't use their tools to do it to other folks you can choose a different way to free yourself from all of it completely
0: yeah and i think that's so important for women listening that are higher up in the executive levels vp uh senior vp in the c-suite um sponsorship is so important and i don't you know you see more of it but I mean, if you're not in a large company, and even a lot of large companies, just they don't ha- have that. And I think really? it's important for all of us, the women to recognize that sponsorship is so important in bringing up those lower level, mid-level managers to to those higher levels. So I appreciate you bringing that up.
1: Yeah, thanks, Michelle.
0: Yeah, so so, what is the answer to all this? Like, what <laughs>
1: <laughs> is there an answer? Yeah, I, I mean, there's, um, there are a few answers, I think. And the, the first is really starting to train leaders before they become folks that are in people leadership roles. Um, so the average person gets promoted um, into a people, people leader, people manager role, right around age 30. It is 12 years between when they become a leader and when they receive any leadership development training, education, that is 12 years of people running around engaging in practices that are likely not not effective at best um, and damaging at worst because that's what they experienced and that's what they went through and those are the leaders that they saw. So for me, the first solution um, is, is getting your people managers and people who are coming up as people managers trained on effective leadership practices, leadership skills, and understanding their own identity so they know how they're showing up as a leader and being experienced by other people. Um, so that's that's the first thing. The second thing I think is, and we're starting to see a lot more of this, is focusing in on mental health at work. Uh, so one of the reasons, Michelle, that I chose to go the the career development, leadership development, career coaching route instead of sticking with therapy is that so often in therapy, um, you know, in therapy is often tied to working with with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and insurance companies will pay for very specific Things they will pay for very um is specific modalities for the therapist to engage in and very specific topics or diagnoses for the therapist to work with. Work um is not a medical diagnosis. However, work causes so many of the mental health challenges that that we see as helping as helping professionals. And so the next step is to really think about what. How is work impacting people's mental health and are there things that we can do to disentangle the the triggers of the challenges that I've named, right? So again, those trauma responses, anxiety, depression, denial, um, physical pain, whether it be chronic or related to sleep and insomnia, all of these things inform and influence how your employees and team members and colleagues show up to work. So if we're not addressing those issues, whether they are trauma related or not, performance will never be what it can potentially be. And people want to show up to work feeling good. Um, But that can be impossible if we're not understanding what's causing them to have those those traumatic experiences internally to begin with. Um, And I think you know the the third piece is, and and we're we're seeing it with millennials. We're seeing it starting to come up with Gen Z. Um, these two generations have the opportunity to really transform the way work is done and shake things up, um, and that is a good thing. Um, I really do. I really do believe it. And so part of it, especially as you were saying, for folks who have risen to those higher levels in in their organizations really staying connected to the talent from other generations mm-hmm. um, bringing their voice to the table and doing something with it um, otherwise i think we're just going to continue to be in this stalemate of people asking the people saying folks are really entitled right now um and folks being employees employees are really entitled right now and employees saying oh my gosh, um, this workplace is just so toxic and this leader is so toxic. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all in this work thing together and we have to be figuring out how to effectively work alongside each other so that we can be the best versions of ourselves outside of work um, because we are on this planet to live a full and beautiful life. Um, and we can't do it if the 8, 10, 12 hours a day that we're spending at work is is really derailing and diminishing how we see ourselves and how we want to move through the world.
0: Thank you for that. And that reminds me, I've had somebody reach out recently about a toxic coworker. Mm-hmm. Uh, how I mean, not to go into a therapy session for that person, but are there maybe one or two things that you would tell a person that's experiencing a toxic coworker and not a toxic leader?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, it, and it, sometimes it can be easier to pro- uh, approach a coworker than, than a leader. Sometimes it can be more difficult. Um, the, the first thing is always to ground yourself in self-awareness. Uh, so what is the thing that is upsetting me so much uh, about this coworker? What are the behaviors they're engaging in that have me use the word toxic to describe mm-hmm. them? Um, once you can get clear on how it's impacting you and also what the, the concrete behaviors are with that coworker, I would, uh, uh, you can invite them to coffee, you can invite them to a zoom chat, but I would say set aside time and let them know what you want to talk about. Don't just spring it on them. So say, Hey, I know we've been working together on this project, um, There are some things I know I probably bring to the table that are a bit uh, annoying or disconcerting to you. I'm hoping we can have a conversation um, about how we can best show up for each other for the duration of this project or program or responsibility, whatever it is, so that they have the opportunity to give you feedback as well Mm -hmm. Um, and really frame it as a feedback conversation. You want this person to recognize what's happening and to change their behavior. Um, And the best way to do that is to have an open conversation rooted in dialogue. So you have to be willing uh, and willing to hear and, and open to absorb what they're gonna share with you too. But I'll tell you, once you open that door for somebody, they are much more keen to hear what you have to say. Um, so by opening that door for them, it doesn't close the door on what you want to talk about, but it essentially can kick your door wide open. And so being prepared to talk about here's the situation uh that that we were in together and be very um be very specific about what it was. Here are the behaviors that you engaged in. Be very specific about what those looked like. And then here is the impact of, those behaviors on me, on the team, on the, the outcome of the deliverable or the project, whatever it is, moving forward, it would be really helpful to me if instead of X, you could do Y. Um, because what we do then is we take the... Um, we we don't take we depersonalize um the feedback because it's no longer about the person, it's about the behavior. Mm-hmm. And people are much more willing to hear that than you are a toxic person, you are this, you are that. It's no, this behavior which I've never actually seen you engage in before was really troubling to me. Is there a way we can shift that in the future? Um And so the, the framework, the acronym for it is SBI, so Situation, Behavior, Impact, and then introduce the behavior you want to see.
0: Great. Thank you. I appreciate you providing that little bit of advice there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing to kind of uh, go back to the um, finish up the workplace induced trauma, if somebody has experienced it, I mean, what is the way that you would recommend to be able to heal from experiencing that?
1: Yeah, healing from, from workplace-induced trauma can be one of the most transformative and, and profound things that, that a person can ever do. Um, healing from workplace-induced trauma first requires, like we talked about, identifying that it happened, navigating your way through it, and getting yourself into a situation where you can heal, a workplace situation that did not cause the harm. Um, it is impossible for humans to heal in the environment that made us sick. Um, and I, I think the same holds true for for our emotional cognitive and physical responses to workplace induced trauma as well. So the first is find a new environment if that is possible for you. Um, the second is is talk to, Talk to a helping professional, whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a coach, um, but make sure that person is trained in trauma-informed practices um, because that is just very important. We don't want more harm to be caused for you. So ask questions around that. And then third, um, I mean, post-traumatic growth, what we're looking to achieve there is is a greater sense of, of personal strength the ability to cultivate and form close relationships with with colleagues and coworkers and bosses in a way where you're no longer scared to do it. Um, To begin imagining possibilities for yourself again, because often um, experiences of trauma cause us to put blinders on and limit what we think we're capable of, what we can do, what we can achieve. Um, And it's through the healing process and beginning to take those blinders off that you can see all of those possibilities that are awaiting for you that you just thought weren't, weren't available anymore. I mean, when I was going through, through my experiences of this um, back in, in 20, 2013 to 20, yeah, 2013, and then a little bit again in 2015, um, I, I didn't see any possibilities for my life. I, and I I definitely never imagined myself Um, Being someone who earned a master's degree to help other people in this in this very thing that I experienced and so um, remembering that there are possibilities and so just jotting down even if it's one really small thing a day uh, and then finally just, you know, having a greater appreciation for your life work is not life, our life is our life and we want work to fit into that um and i think to one of your very first questions what is a sign when work is overtaking all of your thoughts your dreams your well-being when it is overtaking your life that is a sign to that that you may may start responding in a more trauma trauma focused way mm-hmm. um and that's that's what i got good
0: i'd love for you to share uh just with your leadership experience, do you have any uh general like interesting or just funny uh moments that happened where you're like, oops, I shouldn't have done that, or oh, what maybe I shouldn't have done that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I mean we all have them, right? Yeah. Those those moments of of misstep. Um, but our mistakes do not define us. Uh, but they can be a great guide into opportunities for, for growth or improvement. And I think one of, one of my greatest missteps, and this is deeply rooted in, in my personality, that is, that is high energy. um, Also very much setting high standards for myself and, and others. One of my, my biggest career missteps is misdirecting that energy in a negative way. Um, and allowing, allowing stress to get the better of me. So when we are under stress, uh, we are not as likely to self monitor, because it is just not the priority. Um, And so I was uh, working through this big event for, for a university, transporting 650 students from, from Chicago to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, Hmm. um, and had a, a colleague on my team that was not fulfilling their responsibilities um, from, from my perspective. Right. Um, And I was not kind in, in those moments um, because from my perspective, we were putting students potentially at risk by not having forms signed and not having good contact information or all of these things. And from their perspective, I didn't communicate well about what my expectation was. Um and so for me what I what I really learned there was it's fine to have high expectations of folks. Um but if you're going to have high expectations then you need to be very clear about what those outcomes are, what it looks like, what you want it to look like. Um, People need those those boundaries um, to be able to to perform well. And so, even though balls were dropped, I dropped the biggest one by not communicating my my full expectations around what needed to be done and just assuming it's known. Um, but that's the fault of assuming everyone moves through the world like me, and and they don't. And so, uh, I think it's something like. 82% of employees say they want more communication and more transparency from, from their leaders. Um, And leaders are saying, we are, we're already yeah. doing that. And then it's, they say, we need five times more. You tell us once, tell us five more times. Um, And it's not viewed as excessive, which I it was just astonished by, but also really helped me see the importance of, again, communicating those those expectations and desired outcomes and setting people up for success.
0: Yeah, thank you. And thank you for sharing uh, about not everybody moving in the world the way you do, <laughs> because it's so, I mean, as a leader, that's definitely important because you need to, you, you're leading your team and building trust with your team. And you have to recognize that everybody's different, but even in life outside of work, it's just so important to remember that when you're interacting with people. And I, I even I have to remind myself about that sometimes. I mean, it's, it's easy when you're in your own little circle, and you know what to expect. But once you once you start getting outside that bubble, um, it's, I think, even more important to recognize and remember that.
1: Absolutely. And to, to not bias positively toward the people who move like us yeah. uh, or negatively yeah. against those that move differently. Because if we're able to integrate all of that talent and knowledge and energy from the place um, where it's most strongly rooted, the outcome is always going to be innovation and and a bigger bottom line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Uh, is there a mentor that you attribute a significant part of your career to that you look back and uh, recall?
1: So it's um, yes. Uh, and it's I, I, I'm going all the way back to 2002. Um, and it was it was one of my professors. Um, his name is uh, Dr. Denny Roberts, and he is just a giant in the field of leadership education um, and leadership education. All the really good stuff, if you want to find it and you want to know where it is, it's all in higher education. Um, That's where it usually starts before it trickles out to companies. Um, And Denny, my goodness, um, he, uh, just brilliant. Um, So give him a Google, pick up his books, um, very much, very much worth the read. Um, But what was what was so fascinating to me is when I was in college, uh, I served as our Panhellenic president. Um, So for folks who are not in sorority or fraternity life in college, that essentially just means I was leading all of the sororities on on campus and, and trying to lead us in the most ethical and responsible way, way forward. Meanwhile, I had the opportunity to do an independent study um, with Denny, Dr. Roberts, uh, and as a way to get more curious about the field of, of leadership education, what this work could look like after I graduated from college, if it's something I wanted to do, um, and also get, get course credit for it and work alongside a really, a really brilliant person. And while I always knew he was a brilliant person, it wasn't until 13 years later in my first graduate school course, um, that on um, the syllabus was his book with his name, hmm. um, and different chapters from a textbook that were written by him that were assigned to us to read uh and I was just blown away by the his humility i never I never knew about this, and our professor was like, "This man is the guy um when it comes to to leadership development in in higher education and it was such a, a striking moment for me that someone who has done so much for for a field that has done so much for educators that I didn't even know it in the moments I was studying alongside him. All I knew was this is a really committed student affairs professional. Yeah. Um, and 13 years later to learn, I was studying at the feet of the person who wrote the book on all of this was just a great reminder to me that um, there are lots of ways to have an impact um, without telling people the impact you're having. Mm -hmm. Nice.
0: And then maybe it came from uh, him, but the the best advice, the best leadership advice you ever received, what would you say that that was?
1: Yeah. um, It, and it, it, I think it, it might have come from Denny, um, but a lot of people, a lot of people have said it. So I don't want to miss a tribute, uh, but it's great leaders create more leaders. Um, so my job as a leader is to develop other folks to be able to do my job better than me um, so that they can keep moving and growing and, and having impact. My job as a leader is, is not to have the, the followers who just fall in line um that doesn't serve them. Um, and at the end of the day, as leaders, we're here to be of service to others. Um, and that is that's what I've tried, I've tried to spend my career doing, whether it was in politics, the nonprofit sector, commercial real estate, higher education, or or now through through coaching.
0: That's great advice. Great advice. Uh, just and you talked a little bit about men- mental health and wellness earlier. And it's so important, um, as a leader to have that, that, you know, if we can call it balance, I know it's not really balance, But um, is there anything you attribute your well being to? Is there a morning routine an evening routine that really keeps you aligned? Um, person personally?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. Um, first, I, I like to know and keep myself grounded in, in my three, three core values. Um, so courage, curiosity, and, and justice. Those are, those are my three values. And so throughout my day, when I'm faced with a decision, is my decision aligning with at least one of those and, and hopefully all three, I think. Um, one of, one of the reasons we get off kilter with, with our mental health is that our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are not congruent and they're Mm -hmm. not in alignment. And so if we're able to continuously make decisions that are congruent with what we think and feel, um, and then inform how we behave, there's a great way to be able to keep that balance. So anything that is not aligned with those three things, I try and kick to the curb um, in terms of morning and evening routines. Um, I'm always hopping on the Peloton. I don't know if your listeners are fans, but you can follow me at Courageous Kate, always happy (laughs) to do a ride. You can find me on there any, any time between six and 8am, depending on, on the day, but that just helps the exercise helps get my heart going, um, helps to wake me up. And then, uh, at night, uh, it's really just following the same bedtime bedtime routine every night. Um, and in that routine, your body learns to, to fall asleep. And I feel so lucky that I do not have struggles with sleep, but if you are struggling, doing your best to come up with a routine and following it every time will just get you to the point where you don't even have to think about it. It becomes automatic and you get into bed and your body knows what time it is, Yeah, which is time to fall asleep. <laughs>
0: Going back to your core values, how do you check in with yourself to know? Is do you have, you know, once a week you sit down and, and think about what you're working on and what you're doing? It, or is it just something you're continuously thinking about?
1: So I, I try to be continuously thinking about it. Um, truthfully, I think about it the most when I feel off balance mm-hmm. um or off kilter. And I think to myself, what what of the which of these values am I not am I not following through on? Am I not living congruently with? Um and that tends to reveal yeah. uh an opportunity for for me to really reevaluate or or reconsider what's going on. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So
0: um pump up song when you're feeling like you need that energy besides the peloton and might be <laughs> might be a song that you listen to on the peloton is there a song or maybe two songs three that really get you going when you need when you need that
1: bump for sure so the the first one is by lady Bree and it's called just watch me now um okay. it is great for folks who are you know uh looking to leave their current work environment for entrepreneurs that are looking to, to bust open new, new doors and make some big moves. Um, it just, the, the beat is great. The message is great. Huge fan of that one. Um, and then, so that one's just watch me now the other, and I'm, uh, I am going to catch hell from this from my husband for not knowing the artist, Uh, but the song is, how do you like me now? Um, and it just, I don't know there's something about it that makes me smile. Like, look how far I've come. I've done this. Um, and you can't take it away from me.
0: So whenever
1: I'm feeling, um, not necessarily down, but questioning my capacity, my ability, um, either of those songs really gets me in the mindset of no, I've, I've done all this. How do you like me now? Or just watch me now.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And maybe if you follow up with an email, once you remember, I'll just make sure I put it in the show notes for everybody to check
1: out that song. (laughs) Yep.
0: And then I know we already talked about this a little bit, but books or podcasts? Are there any that you have really enjoyed lately that you would
1: recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so for for books, um, actually reading What Happened to You um, by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, if folks um, enjoyed listening, I, I shouldn't say enjoyed, but got curious listening to our talk about workplace-induced trauma, that is, that is a great book to learn more about trauma, what happens in our bodies, how to start recognizing it in yourself and others. Um, really, really great book there. Um, and the other uh, is called Invisible Women, and it it is a really great read um, on all of the ways the world was not set up to support us, and how women are actually changing those mechanisms. It came out in in 2019. Um, it's a bit dense. It's a lot of it's a lot of research, but it's told through story, which is which is really helpful. But if you're ever thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, this happened because of something I did, read Invisible Woman and you will see all of the ways from even before you were born that this is not your fault.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Great recommendations. So I know um, we've been talking for a little while, and I appreciate everybody listening, hanging in there. Uh, I think it's been a great conversation. and thank you again, Katie, for coming on and spending time with us and sharing again, such valuable information for us. Um, I'd love one, if there's anything you wanted to mention that we haven't mentioned, but also how can how can our listeners reach out to you? What's the best way to get a hold of you if they wanted to follow up? from this conversation, if, if they're, if you're okay with them following. Oh,
1: it. I, absolutely. And I think our conversation was just so in depth. I don't, I don't have anything else okay. to, else to add, but always happy to continue the conversation uh, with others or answer questions. Uh, so you can find me via my website, uh, encouragecoaching.org. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook uh, at Encourage Coach Chicago, uh, or feel free to send me an email, katie at encouragecoaching.org. Any, any of those ways are good. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, I think it's backslash Katie O'Malley or Kate O'Malley 82. Um, so I can get Michelle, you that handle as yeah. as well, but happy to connect in any of those ways all of those ways um, and always here to be to be a resource to to fellow women looking to make a difference uh, in their in their work.
0: Well thank you. I appreciate that and again we'll follow up in the notes uh, with all that contact information as well. And with that I just want to thank you again. I always enjoy talking with you and I hope we continue our conversation and have more conversations in the future. I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Me too. Me me too, Michelle. Right back at you.
0: Right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You too. Um, Bye-bye.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. Just one more thing before you take off. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash boss track or sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It's easy to sign up and easy to cancel. Every Monday, we send out a short, exclusive newsletter of what we found during the week that we're excited about, we're inspired by, and we're watching and reading. If you'd like to check it out, just to go to thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Just type that into your browser, thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.